1: They get their minutes, and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black.
2: Minute 79, the credits roll. To tackle Minute 79, we have me, Robert Black of the upcoming The Room Minute, with clips that include Sean German and Dave Palace of Groundhog Minute, Rick Ingham of Mad Max Minute, and Alan Sanders of The Wilder Ride.
0: You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the? There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. That. This doesn't make any sense. To
3: the it's like a fucking cocktail party
4: in here.
2: I get a few words from you before you go, I won't go through all the credits, of course. But everyone who worked on this movie, you created something beautiful, and I've enjoyed talking about it and manipulating so many others to talk about it as well. As the credits roll. Let's hear an outtake for minute seventy-five regarding references to other films.
5: Is it too soon to start looking back and talk about the the podcast itself? The that, no. that Dave made a minute. Um because one of the things I saw. And I, I discussed it in my earlier movie, earlier minutes with, with Dave Palace. And I know a lot of other of the hosts have, have talked about parallels between particular scenes of this movie and scenes of other movies. Yeah. And going in, I, I, I wondered if that was on purpose, if that was part of the plan you We've know, we've been talking about projects and planning and so forth and early on robert you talked to uh, some of the people involved in in making the film including the director uh co-writer and director and i don't think i I don't think it ever came up and so it makes me think of and (laughs) and another movie um as we do in in the hunt for red october there's an engineer who's on his station in a submarine, and his equipment has picked up what it's calling magma displacement, and he wants to follow. And for the folks that haven't seen Red o- The Hunt for Red October, uh, the Red October is a, um, I guess this is Soviet-era Russia. It's a Russian submarine that uses a new kind of propulsion system that is not completely silent, but much more silent than a usual submarine that makes it very difficult to track. And so this American engineer, his equipment is telling him that there's magma displacement. And he says, well, he thinks he's able to track this new silent sub. And the way he explains it is that the, the software was originally designed for seismic activity. And so when it when it sees a signal that it can't place, I think the I think the phrase he uses it runs home to mama. <laughs> it basically defaults to its first purpose, and so there's something out there it doesn't know what it is, so it just says magma displacement. And this engineer figures out, oh, this displacement is really this new high tech Soviet sub that's that's hiding somewhere in the ocean. And I think that's you know, I, so I wonder if is this something that's really there, all these parallels between this movie and all these other movies, or is it just a result of the hosts that that Robert has brought in to help with this project? That these are all people that have podcasts or mostly have podcasts about movies and we're used to thinking about movies and dissecting movies and analyzing movies. And so if you just give us a single minute of something and it turns out to be another movie but it could have been a single minute of a a play or a single minute of a television program it's just a single minute of some drama without the whole without the rest of the movie as reference we kind of don't know where to go so we run home to mama and you know kind of what do we know what's you know sort of what's the currency of our culture it's movie references and movie quotes and 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 those sort of things. So I noticed almost every minute or at least a majority of the minutes and a majority of the hosts, someone is saying, oh, this is just like that movie. And the only like the only concrete reference I think we have outside of what we've done in the podcast is there's the the Kruber call. There's the one corridor or the Kubrick corridor. There's the one section of the maze that looks like a corridor from 2001. And I think that's the only concrete reference, or at least that's the only concrete reference I know that comes from the movie makers. That's a reference to another movie. Everything else is stuff that, uh, you know, that we've put in. It comes from us as podcasters, but it's, yeah. So I wonder, like, is that, is that really there? Is that something that other people are seeing? Is it something the movie makers intended? Or again, is it just, we think in terms of movies and you're giving us something without a lot of reference to, you know, hang things on or, you know, um, points to give us reference. You're not giving us, a, you know, a compass and a map to help us find our way so we're going back to what we know which is movies so we think of you know so harry directing this document the, the the documentary documentary harry making the movie about dave making the maze you know we that's well that's like the filmmaker in apocalypse now and the face on the wall well that's like the face in the mountain the gnome king and return to oz and You know this magical thing. Oh, this is like Harry Potter, and oh, it's a trap that's like Jedi, or they're in. I think I think it's referenced as like a swamp, but there's there's one room that I swore like that's the trash compactor. That room, the the scene where they're on their knees to make it look like you know they're they're waist deep in paper. Like that's the trash compactor from Star Wars. There's no other way to put it. Um, you know, are these things are they are they are are these things there? Or is this something that we're bringing in as just people who are used to thinking in terms of scenes for movies?
2: My impulse answer is a weird turn of phrase. A little bit of neither. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because Because of a couple of things. Having talked to the director, Bill Watterson a few times since the interview that we recorded, I know that he loves movies and obsesses about movies, kind of like some of us. Like, he wanted to make a movie and had made other short films and stuff before this. This was his first movie that actually exists and got out there. But, also, I think most of the references in this movie are not explicitly deliberate that hallway, the Kubrick hallway on the, on like the soundtrack listing, it says like, I forget the title of the track, but it's like having lunch or having a conversation in the Kubrick hall. So that's deliberate. And that, but even that, when I mentioned it to Bill, he says he actually saw it more as the hallway from Empire Strikes Back. And so it's like two different things, even in his head as to what was in that scene. But that also comes down to like, It's 2018, almost 19. Well, by the time this episode goes up, it'll be 2019. The way we deal in modern culture, a lot of it is what we get from popular media, what we get from movies and television. And so, yeah, this movies by minute format is us explicitly making these references, but I think all of us make these references constantly anyway. How do we understand these people going down into the pit with all the origami birds if we've seen Star Wars and grew up on Star Wars, yeah, we see the trash compactor. If we're the director, he sees that scene as he saw it as that. He also referenced that, but he saw it as this is the in the shit Vietnam war moment where they're all in the swamp and they don't know where they're going. They don't know what's going to happen and they're in danger. And so all of the references, even this is a fun one because I don't think I've had the chance to bring it up on the show yet. They reference Raging Bull, specifically. They quote it. Mm. They, you fuck my wife.
5: Oh, right, right, right.
2: The recent screening at the Hive Gallery of this film with the director, someone asked him, so did you choose that line because there's a raging bull in the movie?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's clever. And then he's like, huh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It was literally just the first black and white movie they thought of, but just by sheer coincidence, it fits in a whole other way. And if you see that other connection, it makes it deeper, even though it's not on purpose, or it's not consciously on purpose, but it's still yeah, there. Yeah, but for the
5: for the sake of argument, they can say that it's on purpose. Oh, they
2: certainly could claim it, it now.
5: Yeah, if it makes him look good, he totally should have played that off. Claim it was on purpose.
2: In the moment being asked, he was like, "No, it's just the first thing."
5: (laughs) I was like, "That is awesome." See, that's why I, yeah that that's why I listen to podcasts about movies. I do not, I do not listen to the commentary tracks generally that are on like Blu-ray or DVD. I don't watch the special features that come with a movie. I don't go to like making of shorts and those kind of things because I know it seems like a lot of times the artist doesn't know what they've created and I think that's a that's a perfect example because that's a great connection you know the the raging bull and the the raging bull um even the other connections you're
2: talking about making just because they're not deliberate doesn't mean they're not in Bill's head and Steve's head when they're writing this they might not be thinking oh this is the star wars trash compactor scene but if they grew up on star wars because they're about the same age as i am and i think you are sean i think rick's younger
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, i am then when they're thinking about (laughs) this self-contained room where you're in danger of course somewhere in the back of their mind that's the scene in star wars it doesn't mean that's what they're going for but that's what they get because that's how they think of movies. That's how they think of a bunch of characters in, yeah. in the city. And now an outtake for Minute 76 about ideas and our execution.
3: I wanted it to be real. I wanted them to have suddenly magically, whether it was like some Harry Potter magic or he discovered some magical book, the Necronomicon <laughs> or something, and all of a sudden they're in this 5D world or we just never have it explained. I at least wanted it to be a real place. Yeah. I didn't want it to wake up and go, oh, it's the Bob Newhart dream, and it was all just – the last four seasons were all just a dream.
4: Yeah. No, I I like that. It was magic. It didn't have explanation of why. It just – his imagination became real. Cause I feel like yeah you're right I feel like movies that deal with magic they get scared and they have to over explain it to the audience or they pull the cop out at the end and they go oh it was all in his imagination and I go oh it's just another dream because yeah we've I think we've seen countless movies now where they they have that at the end I mean I remember first seeing the cabinet of Dr Caligari and being just mad that it was like all in his all in his dream he was crazy it was like oh god damn it like. I invested time and energy into that to to get that that rug pulled out from you. Um, Yeah, this is great to feel it. It was magic, and then they collapsed it, they killed the heart, and here we are.
2: The movie I just thought of was the one you covered last year, Dave, uh, Groundhog Day.
4: Oh, Groundhog Day. Because
2: Um, at one draft of the script, they were forced to write a scene that explained what was going on.
4: Yeah, the voodoo. And It sucked. Oh God! Yeah, I'm so glad the whole voodoo magic thing. So they
2: nuts. never filmed it. Yeah, because they didn't want to.
4: Yeah, and, and that's and that's one of the reasons Sean and I had so much fun going over it. And you clearly had it with the blog, which is that like mm-hmm. you don't have a reason, so you get to just enjoy it. You don't have to like keep going back to some totem or some like here are our rule sets. No, no, there's yeah. no rule sets. It's just cardboard maze logic. Okay, beautiful. We're we're back to like. Six-year-old mental logic where it's just like, oh, if it works for that, for a six-year-old, that's how it works. Like, that's what it is.
2: And you can enjoy it. I like that. You can enjoy it on a surface level of just what the fantasy is, or you can project yourself onto Dave or onto Gordon or onto Annie and get into more of depth.
3: Yeah. Walt and I have sort of lamented about how modern filmmaking feels like they have to explain everything. Mm -hmm. And as long as you've given me a reasonable premise and a setup, I don't care if we have to take a certain leap. Just keep everything else after that feeling real, and I'm okay with however we got there. Yeah,
4: I, I think and especially like the, the the worst of the blockbusters are always there's a MacGuffin, and they have to explain they have to explain why the MacGuffin's important, and it it feels so convoluted or it feels so unnecessary, and they keep. Having to say it and remind you about the bomb or about the thing or the alien artifact. And you're just like, look, man, this is a sci-fi. This is a fantasy. This is, you know, this is supposed to be a big blockbuster film of just nonsense.
3: Shut up.
4: Shut your damn mouth. Let me enjoy the, the scene.
3: But doesn't that run contrary to the whole concept of what the MacGuffin is? You mention it and you never talk about it again. And you realize... Oh, it's just something motivating yeah. somebody else, but we don't exactly. really care.
4: Like, that's what it, like, like half the goddamn Batman, Nolan, Batman movies, they're all just some MacGuffin in the beginning. It's like, whether it's a water treatment thing, um I guess the, I guess the MacGuffin is kind of the bomb on the, on the ferry, and then the, then the nuclear bomb. Like, there's this bomb that like has to, that's the third act. The whole third act is like revolving around this, this thing, and then Batman or whoever have to... They have to overcome the, 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 the... Yada, yada, yada.
2: If you miss certain scenes of this movie, as you did, Alan, you... The chrysalis is almost a MacGuffin. It's like, we have to build this thing so we can destroy the maze. And it doesn't matter what it is, but they do explain it in a couple clear lines right before... Like, when they make the decision to build it.
3: But that... That's about how you defeat the maze, but that doesn't explain how the maze came to Well, be. but it,
2: it goes back to the creation of the maze because Dave deliberately didn't build a weak spot because he didn't want anyone to be able to destroy it.
4: Yeah. Did, did, is it, I'm trying to remember. I don't think he ever says what's the, what was like the first thing he built in the maze was there. Like, never, You never can figure out what was the first room of the maze. It,
2: well, the first room is where they... Where he puts the chrysalis and where he destroys it. Okay. Because they go to the center, and he said he started in the center and built outward.
4: Okay. Okay.
2: But he specifically says, they're like, if there's no weak spot to exploit, because I didn't make one. Because if he made one, then someone could destroy it. Yeah. And Harry has a great line. He says, you don't have to fail if you never finish anything. Which is like Dave's life in a nutshell.
4: Yeah, Dave's like, I've been there, man. (laughs) Like, like, yeah, Harry's trying to give him some out. And he's like, "No, man, I that that that's, that's put me on a real steep slope. I, I needed, I need a finish. I need a complete and finish for my mental sanity."
2: And I can relate to that one. Like, I've written so many like short stories and novels and things that then I just didn't bother sending to any publishers mm. because it's like, why? So they can send me more rejection letters? <laughs> yeah, been there, fair. done that.
3: Yeah, but I'm yeah. a big fan of that sports analogy. You miss 100% of the shots you never True. take. And that's a hard thing when you're a creative person to put yourself out there and decide, is this the shot that makes it or do I get it re, you know, do I get it rebounded? Do I get it, you know, blocked? Do I get it shoved right back down my face? Uh, I mean, I think we all deal with that.
4: Yeah. I think I if I remember you you kind of you kind of reminded me. Of, I think it was Someone asked in an interview. They asked David Lynch one of those dumb questions, like "Where do you get your ideas from?" You know, one of those things. But he actually had a half decent answer. He actually kind of like didn't just like laugh it off. And he pretty much, I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he pretty much says that like in his mind, there's a television and there's no remote, and just things come on the screen. He gets all these ideas on the screen, and he can't control the channel. Like if he says if he, if he, if he knew where the the good ideas would come from. He would, you know, he would know and he'd be there.
2: To be fair, that last line, and this is me editing the episode, that last line actually came from the interviewer and really from Leonard Cohen, not David Lynch, but it still fits. And
4: so he's like, you got, you got your pad and paper and you write, you write that idea that you saw on the screen, you write it down. He says, then you come back to it and he says, that idea may be good, but it may be the start of something, a bigger picture of an idea. Like that's the, Here's a small piece of that idea and you start thinking about it more and you, and you build off of it. So yeah, it's, it's that idea of like, okay, maybe the book right now, maybe what you have right now, you're right, isn't it? But like you, but this character or this one's story arc here, this is good. Like I know this is good. Maybe the, what I have so far, maybe the beginning of my book is not good, but this, I like this conflict. I like it between the, this guy and that guy or, you know, oh, she's got to go here or something. And then the, yeah, you build that really good idea off of that and you kind of restructure. Where you you get to step back and you see what's important.
0: By the way, here's the whole clip. An idea comes and you see it and you hear it and you know it. How does it come? It comes like on a TV in your mind. (laughs) 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 You know, there's a, a line I've, I've always loved of, of Leonard Cohen. He said, if I knew where the good songs came from. I would go there more often. Absolutely. People, we want. I we don't do anything without an idea. So they're beautiful gifts. And I always say, you desiring an idea is like a bait on a hook. Yeah. You can pull them in. And if you catch an idea that you love, that's a beautiful, beautiful day. And you write that idea down so you won't forget it. And that idea that you caught might just be a fragment of the whole, whatever it is you're working on, but now you have even more bait. Thinking about that small fragment, that little fish will bring in more, and they'll come in and they'll hook on, and more and more come in, and pretty soon you might have a script, or a chair, or a painting, or an idea for a painting. But they come as... In small, more often than not, small fragments. I like to think of it as in the other room, the puzzle is all together, but they keep flipping in just one piece at a time. In the other room? Over there. (laughs) (laughs) In in a sense, David, there's always another room somewhere. Mm, That's a beautiful thing to think about. Let's think about it a bit. No, you think about it. <laughs>
4: like I, re- I remember I wrote a few quote books, but it was mostly like me as a kid in high school. I'd read like, or watch a movie and then like try to write a book that's like 90% me. Just, I watched SWAT and I just wanted to make my own cop action movie, you know? <laughs> so was, and I was and I think about it now I go, and I didn't finish the book. I, I had some megalomaniac guy who's going to blow up the Swiss app. Some, some baloney like that, you know? So. <laughs> So, uh, I, 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 do, I get that vibe of this, and I just, you know, I went through high school and I, and I, I did, and I'm sure somewhere there's a, there's a marble notebook of, of those, of half, of a half written novel.
3: But isn't that the interesting thing about the creative process? Because I've yet to be able to finish anything because I don't plot it out enough that by the time I get to a third of the way or a half of the way through, I've written myself into a corner. And then I go back and I look at other people, and they say, "Oh, you got to know kind of an idea where you're going. Let the characters breathe and speak, but you still need to know where they need to go." Yeah. And that's always been my problem is I never plot out enough of it that I end up writing myself into a corner.
4: I think, well, I think, I think at least with my one dumb novel I wrote in high school, it's just like <laughs> I look back and I know, like, I wrote half of it and I introduced the villain and the villain's convoluted plan of like. I don't know. I think he's trying to blow up Vatican City or something. I made some kind of megalomaniac guy, and he was going to blow up the Swiss Alps or something like that and destroy like that part of Europe into Italy, some, some, some to that extent. Um, but I remember like being like like thinking of the ending and being like, "Yeah, this is like a generic action movie. Like, I don't think this is good enough." And I, all I keep imagining is Colin Farrell. I'm like, eh, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking too small, you know, too small minded because I just watched SWAT, you know. So I don't know. What my what is my point? <laughs> uh, I, my I think point. that was your point. I think that was my point. Yeah, that, like, clearly that story's not—it's not that interesting. Yeah, there you go. There it is. It wasn't that interesting. There you go. You just wrote yourself and into a and corner. I, and I, and I, my brain was in a
3: corner. Uh, so I, I guess we, we all have corner. to deal with that. Yeah, because we all have a sense of creativity. Because podcasting, in and of itself, is still a creative act. Even if you're analyzing and talking. If you're just talking nonsense, if you don't have any engagement, any kind of sense of storytelling behind you, nobody cares. You know, you've know, you got to still have a sense of creating a show. You know, It's a start, a middle, and an end, even if it's just one minute at a time. And trying to have that confidence to throw it out there and hope people like it, but you still have to put some work into it. You can't just randomly go out there and do nothing and hope it works as well. And it, I think we all have to fight that that we want to put ourselves out there but we don't want to put ourselves out there because what if nobody nobody likes what yeah. we do but mm-hmm. why are we doing it if nobody's going to listen to it yeah you know it's like that i always say this we, i used to be in theater and we did a lot a lot of theater and we'd be like working for eight nine weeks on a show but who cares if nobody shows up to watch it you got to have an audience it helps yeah you
4: got. You gotta have an. Au- <laughs> yeah, it does. It really. You gotta have an audience. I mean, I, I yeah, I did. I mean, I did theater mostly community theater through school and community theater. But yeah, you you gotta. But you gotta be. You gotta be almost doing the show for just like don't even worry about the audience. You want to have the fun of you're doing it with your cast and crew. But obviously, yeah, like a lot of theater is like is mostly to help you know. Someone's got you know try to get money because of whatever reason, you know, or even if it's volunteer. Because
2: theater rental costs money. Theater
4: rental costs money, exactly. So you want to make sure right. that no one's out of pocket, you know, or uh, yeah, that the money's going somewhere. But yeah, you you you. But I mean, you do the you do the emotion you bring to it isn't you don't want to bring it. It's like oh, well, I'm just doing a job A to B. You want to be like I'm doing it because I'm having fun with, and I'm saying these lines, and we're singing, we're dancing, and we're doing it because we're having fun, and then the audience will see it, and then. You know, they'll have fun and they'll tell their friends how much fun it was, you know. Same thing with our podcast, you know, like, you, you, especially with our movie by minute ones where it's like, I want to tell people how good this movie is, or Mm -hmm. I want to, they never heard of this movie before, you know, and I'm going to give them a reason in, you know, half hour, hour chunks, or, you know, even 10 minute chunks. Of why they should come back tomorrow and hear a little bit more about why this movie is good, mm-hmm. and and that's the emotion you want to bring. You want to bring to, and then, and I don't even look at. I'm the person. I don't even look at the stats of my own podcast. I don't care. I I, I care about having guests having fun, have talking about how fun Mystery Man is. You know, I worry yeah. about that. But
3: isn't that the fine line? I mean, half of it is you don't want to try to be formulaic and decide we're only going to do things that we think people will like, but at the same time. You want people to like what you're doing. And you have to figure out where is that balance? Where is the creative balance where you can still be you? It's your voice. It's your unique style. It's whatever you bring. But you still need an audience. And I think that's the thing artists struggle with. a lot of times, that's why I think artists hope they have a manager or somebody else who can do all the other, you know, marketing and managing and promoting because they just want to create. But we're kind of all our own. We're like our own our own team. We have to be marketing. We have to be promotion. We have to be creative. We have to do the editing. We have to do the grunt work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's we're like all in one and trying to find that balance. I think at least for me, me and Walt, we talk about this a lot. You know, we're doing the show we like, but is it the show that enough people will also like that they'll want to listen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, this got deep. <laughs> yeah. And what do you do if it isn't? Yeah.
4: Yeah, and, 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 uh, for all you know, like, the audience for your show or for your movie might not show up for another five years. Right. Where they go, oh man, back in XYZ. Yes, that's crazy. You know, that was a good movie. That is crazy. And then, and then somebody goes, there was a podcast they did about that movie. Whoa, check it out. And. Then, But like you've you've moved on. Yeah.
3: Why didn't somebody ever think to do Groundhog Minute one minute at a time?
4: Damn it, there is one. (laughs) But like, does anyone have like a blog where they like really go in depth of it? I I gotta see if there's a blog about that. You know. So yeah. There
3: might be. Yeah.
4: I mean, I'm I'm I said I'm lucky and dumb at the same time. Where it's like no one else is talking about Mystery Men. No one has talked about that movie in like 20 years. So it's like Mm -hmm. I'm the only game in town. But at the same time, that's also a hard sell. Is like people are like man are there any good comic book ensemble films <laughs> i saw i've seen avengers infinity war 10 times is there anything else that might have come in come out and i go well something came out in the 90s they go was it blade yeah 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 blade was good wrong, but like, <laughs> the phantom, was it phantom? But like an actual was it phantom was it the shadow no well, i mean they get yes, yes they are movies but like not worth talking about
3: <laughs> yeah no not at all Anyway.
2: Oh God. And I now take minute 77 about podcasting.
5: I think it's a good film and I think it's, well I think every, every one of the hosts previously that has just seen a few minutes, yeah. just seen the three or four minutes that they've covered, I think they've all said that they're interested, or all the people that I don't think anyone has said they're not interested in seeing the rest of the movie, that all the folks that have expressed an opinion one way or the other have said, I now want to see the whole thing.
2: And several have gone on to
5: watch the movie once they finish recording their minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. Mm -hmm. I think they'll be rewarded. I think there's a good lesson there. And I think it draws it draws some parallels to what what you've been doing, Robert, uh, because this to a large extent this movies by minutes thing and i don't maybe it, it applies to podcasting in general is a very solitary yeah. endeavor or at least i found even um, even with guests yep um one is where um we record primarily remotely uh, right now to uh, to kind of break the fourth wall like like uh, robert and myself we're not um, we're not in the same place we're not in the room together <laughs> Nope we're connected remotely. And then eventually someone's going to have to edit this and put it together and upload it and kind of package it for consumption. And that is certainly a solitary endeavor, the editing and so forth. Yeah. So there's a lot of time alone. And then the prep, the watching the minute and looking stuff up and getting, you know, lyrics to, to songs and stuff, a lot of time alone uh, with a podcast. But then, but this kind of project bringing in the community bringing in different groups of hosts each minute and, and different combinations. Um, I mean, some minutes were, were teams of people that regularly podcast together, but then there were certainly a lot of minutes where there are people that um, are not co-hosts, you know, they don't do a show together, but they came together for this project. Yeah. Um, so maybe, um, yeah, maybe Robert learned the lesson of this movie and kind of, Paid it forward to some others to say, hey, get, you know, get together, um, get out of your, get out of your, your self-imposed cardboard maze and get out and, and, you know, talk to some other people and, um, you know, interact with, with your friends and loved ones that are there just waiting to, uh you know, waiting to be a part of your life. Yeah,
2: yeah. my other current show I do by myself mostly, I've had guests a few times, you were on it on for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael Myers minute my upcoming I guess two projects I have co-hosts lined up because I doing it alone worked and thematically I made it work as I went because Halloween is all about being stalked and ending up alone mm-hmm. but I wouldn't recommend that for a show like this talking about movies is so much more fun when you have people to talk to because you and when you have lots of different people to talk to, because you get different opinions, different backgrounds that affect the way people think about movies, and
5: it's interesting. And I think it's worth the effort. And this is—it's <laughs> kind of a pain to to coordinate, yes. you know, just to coordinate schedules to get guests or work with a co-host. The you know the more people you have involved, and there's, I mean, something like this cast of, of thousands um, to get everything coordinated. Sometimes it's, it's easier and yeah. it's very tempting to say, just screw it. I'll do it myself. It's just me. So I do it on my own schedule, but then, but that's a lonely, that's a lonely way to go. And I think it's, it usually turns out to be worth the effort.
0: Storm all the traps and then we can we can finish this maze who is with me
2: that was well not really me taking a minute 79 of dave made a maze rather it was clips that included sean german and dave palace of groundhog minute rick ingham of mad max minute and alan sanders of the wilder ride sean dave and rick have finally escaped the maze next time on dave made a minute we've got alan sanders of the wilder ride putting me on the spot for an interview as we ignore more credits in Minute 80.
1: Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place, and Her Presence is here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at LemmingDrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening.
0: As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what?